Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. Rosie, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. We're back. We are, this is the first time. This is a landmark episode in multiple ways, but we are back in the same room mm -hmm. recording together. I get to see your glorious beard, <laughs> and I we get to just uh, hang out in person, which has been too long, man, too long. Yeah. It's so cool to see you, man. It's, yeah, likewise. And although I was kind of getting used to, I was getting nervous for one thing. I thought you were going to just enjoy being in your own house and not having to leave <laughs> to come record. And, and the other one was, I was like, it actually didn't sound horrible all the time. Yeah. Like it was doing, we were doing okay technologically, you know, with this audio and stuff, which yeah. I'm a big, I, 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 I got, it's got to sound decent or I get, mm -hmm. I get really annoyed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the big thing was, is my class, I, like I said, I'm in a master's program, and there is a lot of a lot more writing than I thought. So I've been, yeah, I have enjoyed staying at home because I have to write so much. <laughs> well, you know, so uh, it wasn't fun. I would have rather been here. <laughs> I want everyone to know that that I'm not the bad guy. <laughs> no, you were. <laughs> I'm just kidding. blame it on COVID, baby. Yeah, but we're back. We're back, man. And so the Chinese tried to keep us apart. They did. China man, no good. No. Um, but what, you know what we're going to do is next week we'll probably have our audience back too. We always have a couple yes. people hanging out with us. So that's always fun too. But we have a good one uh, this week. We have a really good episode. Um, so uh, it's uh, the old Skype thing there is. Uh, okay. So anyways, we got a guest coming. Hold on a second. Here we go. There we go. You're back. All right, cool. Uh, anyways, so we're going to have a guest in a few minutes, but mm -hmm. uh, what do you know, man? Hey, did you know that there is a Canadian uh, specialty grocery store? There was called Pirate Joe's. <laughs> and it was owned by a guy named Michael Halat. I don't know how to pronounce his name, whatever. And its inventory consisted entirely of store brand products resold from United States Trader Joe's. So they don't have Trader Joe's in Canada. So this guy would drive down to America, buy at full price. He'd go buy uh, Trader Joe's stuff off the shelf and then go sell it at his store, Pirate Joe's of Canada. <laughs> Pirate Joe's. Yeah. That's the perfect name. Yeah. So he'd pay, and, whole, and he'd pay complete retail price. Yeah. And then would he mark it up? I would assume so. I mean, you'd have and to. And Trader Joe's tried to sue. So they sued him for, like, a trademark infringement. And it got dismissed. Like, he did. They did win. <laughs> Pirate Joe's won. Is he still doing this? No, because then they sued him again. And uh, yeah. they kept him in. He, he, he ran out of money. Oh, yeah. To fight the legal thing. Yeah, they got but money. And he, he lasted for uh, five years. Wow. Yeah. So Pirate Joe's. Those Canadians. I know. Well, you know, there's a big demand for Trader Joe's. Like that and Whole Foods and all those, you know, yeah. kind of more healthier places. I mean, it is Canada. Yeah. I buy my food at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we go to old giant food, man. <laughs> That's sure. too high end. <laughs> no way. Harris Teeter is high end. No. Yeah. They have a Starbucks inside the Harris Teeter. I know. That's high end. I worked at this giant's like, you know. 25 years old or yeah. something so anyways yeah pirate joe's all right that was a cool did you know yeah the old pirate joe yeah so uh we have a, a special guest tonight and uh, a special, special announcement special, yeah and um so 
We're going to, um, let me just, uh, here's, here's what I tell listener, sit back, grab a coffee and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. That's right, listener. Welcome back. So, as I was saying just a few minutes ago on the other side of the intro music there, which, by the way, that was made by my daughter. I just want to give her props. Um, And she has an album coming out. Her first album is going to be coming out in a few weeks. So, we will let you guys know when that happens. But um, she's been, we actually interviewed her on here. Yeah. And we played parts of her songs and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, sidetrack. So we have a special guest with us. I want to welcome to the podcast my very good old friend Rachel. Rachel, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah. Hanging in there. We're in the middle of a tropical storm right now, so staring uh, out our back window at the palm trees that are blowing over, and it's not bad. <laughs> it's just rain. It's wind and rain. So, is this is the first one of the season for you. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Um, last year, I'm trying to remember what we had. I don't even remember the name, honestly. And then the year before that, we had Michael, which actually did a lot of damage um, yeah. closer to Panama City Beach. We're on the uh, we're on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So like right in the bullseye where we get a lot of big storms. Um, <laughs> Hurricane Ivan actually was a big one. It came by mm. a few years ago, but we weren't here yet so yeah i think i was down in florida when that hit ivan oh, really? yeah. oh my gosh yeah here it was pretty bad i remember on the gulf side it was really bad it was really really bad yeah mm-hmm. uh, that was probably about four years ago mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. so well so rach and i we have been friends for a long time actually her husband and i have been friends for a really long time we did ministry together he mm-hmm. led worship for a ministry that I was a part of at, at a church in Virginia. And mm-hmm. um, I just always loved, I always love your husband, Andrew. He's just an amazing dude. Great, great guy, great heart, super talented. And uh, and I, I just miss uh, hearing him lead worship all the time. But then you mm-hmm. guys met, I, I hate to say that I'm the reason that you guys <laughs> met. You are. You are the <laughs> I've got two people that I can lay claim to that I helped them meet. One is my sister and her husband, because he was my roommate, and the other is you guys. But um, they're still married, so I guess I'm, I'm I should stop by on my head, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not one for setting up people too much, but uh, anyways, I actually had the awesome honor of doing your wedding, and it was probably mm-hmm. my I want to say my second or third wedding that I ever did, so I was super nervous. But uh, I still remember. You said my name wrong. <laughs> Did I say your name? Your last name? My last name, yeah. yeah. But a lot of people do. So. <laughs> yeah, that. It, yeah, I, I, I'm notorious for that. I, I, I'm horrible at names. But, uh, anyways, you're not holding on to that at all. I can tell. Um, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, you, we, we got to know each other, and you, you. Um, and this is what's pretty cool about you and I is that you managed a coffee shop that was in our church and mm-hmm. I had a little bit of oversight of the coffee shop. Not a lot, but um, I got to go down to D.C. with you, Washington, D.C., and get trained how to yep. do uh, 
pour overs and how to do, you know, basically set up the espresso based on, you know, humidities. And it was mm -hmm. like, it's really complex. Like, it's not something that you just learn in one shot, you know. Mm -hmm. I tried teaching Andrew one time and he was not having it. He was like, okay, it stormed <laughs> off. <laughs> well, I was going to say, when I first moved out for, to Virginia, I worked at a Starbucks for six weeks. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I never learned how to make any other drink. <laughs> I just kept giving them the same drink. Because it's all basically the same. It's all the same ingredients. And I'm like, it's, they're not going to tell. Do you think Starbucks is like the Mexican food of coffee? Like all oh these. Yes, yes, it is. If you think yep. about it, Mexican food, it's always rice, beans, tortilla, tortilla, or, or with some kind of meat, either chicken or mm -hmm. beef, right? Or, yeah. You know, so. It's like you just change the combination. Yeah. When you ask, like, hey, what's in the burrito? Oh, rice, cheese, beans, chicken. Oh, cool. What's in the chimichanga? Oh, uh, cheese, chicken, rice. They just change the yeah, order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's anyway, exactly what it is. So Starbucks is the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I want to welcome to the show. And this is something that will probably be uh, a regular guest on a show with us, maybe even um, a co-host. It just depends on her life and how you know she's super busy but um we have been rach and i have been talking um offline for a couple months now just really seriously about some things that um we both realized man we're on a sort of similar path um as we are like the term sucks because it could mean a myriad of things but that that journey to wokeness <laughs> yeah but when we say it, it's not the woke like you're going to get from a left-leaning, liberal, uh, wimpy, millennial, wokeness, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. you know, skinny jean wearing Antifa wow. lover, yes. right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Not that woke. That's yeah. a different kind of woke. We were talking about like wokeness in a, in a perspective of relativeness to the Bible and to... Um, just long held things that have not been re regularly embraced by mainstream Christianity and, and those that are arbiters of the truth. How's that sound? Yeah. Yes. That, that yeah. was, was that a good way to put it? Yeah. So, Very succinct. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that so that those that are listening can connect with you and at that level and then we'll move on. Oh man. Um, well, I guess way back when, when I was a kid, I came from a big family. Um, we were homeschooled, and my mom actually started homeschooling back in the 80s, kind of when it was all, like, not normal yet. Um, <laughs> so she was actually kind of afraid of us, like, well, not me, but my older siblings getting, like, you know, CPS called on them. And this was kind of when HSLDA, um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, was in its, like, early stages. And so... Uh, they were kind of more limited on resources. And so she got plugged in with them like in the nineties, but she was actually like concerned that what she was doing, you know, raising us at home, teaching us at home and like um, raising us as Christians was going to get her in trouble. So, um, but then like later on in life, you know, we were a little bit more uh, relaxed as far as, like okay we can be out you know school's in session but we're gonna go get groceries and whatever so um we were in the navy we moved around a lot um we really didn't settle in a place for more than two years until i mm -hmm. was about nine years old and we moved to virginia 
Um, my dad had gotten out of the Navy and uh, I spent a big chunk of my life in Virginia. Um, and I didn't really realize it, but I was asleep to a lot of things, including a lot of stuff about myself. Um, mm -hmm. Like I didn't realize the, I guess I didn't really realize the kind of, um, the things I wasn't very independent about. I wasn't very independent about making decisions. I didn't really have to. Um, I wasn't very independent about, you know, thinking what uh, proactively about my future. I hadn't really thought of like what I wanted to do when I grew up um, until I was about 20. I was a nanny for my older sister. She was uh, going to a missionary and it was during that time that she kind of like, she and her husband gave me the opportunity to talk and just like pour everything out. And uh, during that time, I was actually going through an eating disorder and I didn't even realize it. Um, mm. But a lot of that was like from the compounded stress of uh, not feeling like I had a voice or like a control in my life, but not really knowing what to do about it and how to take control. And I'd grown up in a Christian home, but I didn't realize like, I, I really hadn't ever done anything bad enough to <laughs> recognize like, why I needed a savior. Um, but during my, probably when I was like 14 is when I like turned my life over to the Lord and everything, but I didn't really realize the extent of God's grace and his provision and just his loving hand in every single detail of my life until I was about 20. When just all the details of who I met to counsel me through my eating disorder, who I came into contact with, who helped me talk through big decisions, that was just a pivotal point in my life when I was there as their nanny. And that's kind of when I started waking up to, okay, I have a choice of, you know, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I have a choice of, you know, is what I'm doing glorifying the Lord or is it just to make money as far as a career goes? Um, do I want to be a wife and mom right now? Am I ready for that? Like, what do I want to do with my life? And I, um, that was, a, I guess, the first stage of waking up. Um, then, when I was about 22, yeah, 22, <laughs> I moved to Northern Virginia um, my pastor and a uh, college counselor had um, counseled me to pursue graphic design. And so I moved up to Northern Virginia. And the day afterwards, I visited Cornerstone Chapel. And, uh, <laughs> and I met um, uh, Turner. And I met a uh, few other people. But Turner was one of the, like, the first people that I met. And you told me about your young adults ministry that was starting up the next day. I think you guys had only had one meeting prior to that. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, why not? You know, I was starting to get plugged in like as soon as I'd moved in. Um, and then I showed up and met a lot of people who I'm still friends with now. And I met Andrew and I was like, he's too cool. He's like not going to be interested in me at all. Um, but it turns out, you know, he thought I was pretty cool too. And so we ended up hanging out a lot. And, um, that whole time period between when I was a nanny and when I got plugged in with school, I was still kind of like learning a lot about how to take care of myself and how to be independent 
and how to um, live apart from my family and separated from uh, my parents and everything. And so I was in the process of learning so much and researching so much about health and nutrition, um, healing myself actually from my eating disorder. I never actually had to go to any kind of rehab or anything because I took it in my own hands to help me out. And so even though I was going to school for graphic design, any time I wasn't doing homework, I was like studying how the human body works mm. and I was studying, um, you know, how different things traditionally, you know, thousands of years ago were cooked. I love cooking. I could cook like, I mean, I do cook every day, but um, <laughs> I could just, you know, work on different cooking projects all day and artistic projects all day. I just love being at home and making it an amazing place and making amazing food. So um, I was excited to when me and Andrew got um, engaged and then got married, I was excited to, you know, make a home with him. And we, we weren't planning on it, but I got pregnant right away after we got married. <laughs> I was like, okay, God, you know. <laughs> Everybody says that. We weren't planning on it. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, he had other ideas. God definitely had other ideas. But I'm actually really glad because, you know, I want to be a young mom. I don't want to be waiting until my 30s to get, be getting started. Um, but there was so much that was not on my radar as far as health goes and independence goes <laughs> until I was pregnant and was trying to navigate all of these big decisions coming up. Um, and, you know, mostly what I was focusing on was like, how is what I'm going to be eating and putting in my body going to affect my child? And um, what kind of lifestyle can I be living that's going to be a good nourishing place for him. Um, and so during that time is when I began to wake up to the, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't want to like say this against anyone in the medical community, but I'm talking about the medical and pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. I began to wake up to a lot of things that are going on in those industries. Um, that I think that a lot of really well-meaning nurses and doctors are not aware of. I think that they genuinely want to help people, and I think that they yeah. have a heart to actually do no harm. But there are some other players at work um, that are pulling strings and very money-focused, and I began to wake up to a lot of that. Um, now, thankfully, I'm not one of the people who experienced huge injury at the harm or at the hand of the medical industry. Um, I opted for a natural birth, I opted for a midwife and everything, but I was just learning as I went. Um, and I remember my brother who's a nurse kind of like encouraging me to get the epidural and get, encouraging me to get medication because that's all a good thing. And I was like, well, I feel like, and not to sound like a hippie, but I feel like my body knows <laughs> what to do. <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, I'm meant to do this. Like I had never experienced it before, but I kind of want to feel when something's wrong. And I don't want to be out of it. I don't want to be under the influence of something when I'm trying to bring my child into the world. So, but I didn't, I didn't even realize that like, let's say I had gone in to the hospital and under like an emergency circumstance. And if someone else had been making those decisions for me, I didn't even realize that like in certain circumstances, people feel like they don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So after we had, Asher, I wasn't going to school anymore for graphic design, and I really just focused on being a stay-at-home mom, supporting my husband in any aspect of his ministry, 
Um, he was still working at the church, and um, I really became, and I understood quickly that I had to be my own advocate and my baby's own advocate mm. in these different pediatrician visits and doctor visits, and everyone that I ran into had an opinion on what I was supposed to be doing with my child, and I had to just keep telling him, hey, it's between me and my husband, and we're navigating all of this for the first time, and we wanted to be really making informed decisions. So as I, he, he, Asher was not a very good sleeper. Asher's our firstborn. He is almost four, and he was not a very good sleeper and would only sleep if he was laying down, like, on my chest. Hmm. So I spent a lot of time um, either <laughs> doing work for the coffee shop on my phone or researching on my phone, saving and compiling documents and uh, medical journal articles and links and sources for all of these different questions that I had um, that pediatricians couldn't answer. So that was the beginning of, I guess, that sort of waking up process. Um, and then once I was pregnant with our second, I was a lot more awake to corruption going on in those mm -hmm. industries. Um, and I had found a community of like-minded people who, you know, were supporting those decisions I was going to make. And then God called us to Florida. And so we moved like a month before I had my daughter. And during that time, um, it was a, it was definitely a God thing because I didn't have like a, uh, any, check in my spirit about where we were going and even though I didn't know where we were delivering, I didn't know the hospital, I didn't know the midwife, um, our church family in Florida had like helped me find a midwife who would let me do what I wanted to do mm. but I really just had to like put our lives in God's hands and in the hands of our church community there to support us as we made that move and made those decisions um, and at that time when we moved down um, I was still not awake to a lot of other things that I was bringing into our home or putting in our bodies. And mm -hmm. uh, it, when my youngest uh, was a baby, we started to do kind of a, a purge of all the things that were toxic in our home, all the things that were causing, um, like say, headaches or health distress. Um, and in my research, I started following a lot of people on Instagram who were also on similar journeys, and they were also kind of like not only purging the toxic products from their home, but purging things that were not honoring to the Lord. And I was like, oh, you know, like what? What does this mean? And so a lot of those things were like, why we don't celebrate Christmas or why we don't celebrate Easter or why we don't, you know, and I'm like, what? I'd never even thought about any of those things before. I'd never thought, like, I totally thought about, you know, why I'm not going to feed my family this and why I'm not going to bring this into my home and why we're not going to make this decision. But I'd never thought about things that were, like, core to my beliefs. I'd never thought about, you know, I was just like, it's what you always do. And I began to dig deeper. I began to dig deeper on the origins behind those things. I began to dig deeper on the origins of you know, people in our country who are respected leaders. And yeah. it was just massive. Like I remember laying on my bed 
it was a late <laughs> night reading my, my uh, all these different things about the origins of our country from a non-Google source, really. And I was like, just like somebody, somebody knocked me out and put me back to sleep. Like what? <laughs> This is unreal. So, so I had to like recover for a week of waking up. <laughs> let me, let me, uh, okay. I want to, we're going to go back to that point in a second. Cause you're, you're just now you're like, you're falling down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Turner yeah. wants to tell you about the time that he was pregnant and what right. he went through. <laughs> I had to use the epidural though. The pain was too great. I actually have had an epidural by the way. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I I had stem cell therapy on my lower back and, uh, they use an epidural to, um, make you like, so that they can do the injection and stuff without you like literally dying from the pain. Cause it would be really painful. But, uh, so anyways, yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, so you had mentioned way back at the beginning, you said something, I wrote it down. You you mentioned that you had an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and that you overcame that on, you know, just, um, you didn't go to counseling, you didn't go, you know, get doc, you know, doctor or medical help and like any type of pills or anything. What can you, do you care to open up a little bit more about that? Like what, what was the kind of the cause of that? What, and tell us a little bit more. A lot of it. And I didn't have any kind of, um, uh, I, I wasn't, let's say binging or purging. I wasn't, um, there's different terminology and I honestly have never even delved into the eating disorder community there's a lot of dark dark stuff online there's a lot of dark stuff that uh, secular people are involved in even Mm -hmm. secular people who are trying to help um per se um there's a lot of dark stuff and i thankfully never delved into that Mm -hmm. mine was all very very internal and a lot of it was just about um what I couldn't control, I could at least control with my diet mm. and what I couldn't, uh, when I was stressed out, when I was feeling guilty about something, when I was feeling very shamed, um, I would be taking it out on myself basically by over-exercising or by under-eating. And I just didn't understand what my body needed to function. Um, a lot of it was just due to really awful infographics or really just, you know, poorly educated magazine, you know, articles (laughs) and just like one opinion from one doctor, one opinion from someone else, some, you know, diet expert. Wait a second. You're telling me that women's magazines are not a good source of information (laughs) on how to live. It's trash. (laughs) It's all selling stuff. Um, But no, there was just so much conflicting information and I never even dug deep enough to understand like what my body basically needs. Like if I was just lying in bed all day, what it would need for that. So Hmm. in that process of healing and, um, you know, being told that I needed to recover or someone else was going to have to take over the reins, um, I just really began to research and pray and pour my heart out that, okay, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't want to be, like, I want you to take my life back mm-hmm. so that it's not out of your hands and in someone else's, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. please give me the clarity of mind. Um, please give me the the energy to do what I'm supposed to do on this planet. And um, I don't want to be living in fear anymore. I want to be living for your glory. And I don't want to be <laughs> punishing myself 
for things I don't have to, like living in constant penance, basically, mm, uh, for yeah. mistakes I've made. So I wanted to be empowered. And the reason I had felt so out of control was because of ignorance. And the reason I felt like I had to be doing these things to punish myself was out of ignorance. And so I started um, researching, okay, what does my body need to live? And then also, like, what is the truth about what my body needs? You know, this one thing, one year says this, carbs are bad, don't eat meat, don't eat fat, whatever. Right. But all of that stuff is... Oh my gosh, all of that stuff is defined and put out by industries. <laughs> Even if it's medical, that are influenced by agricultural industries. If it's, you know, there was huge ad campaigns back in the 50s where they were trying to use all of this milk product and wheat product and all of this stuff that they had um, had to manufacture for military rations and they had all this surplus of cheese product and wheat product and just nasty junk and they had to figure out how to sell it to the public and so they started putting out these ad campaigns make sure you're getting this much calcium from your milk every single day make sure you're getting this many servings of grains make sure you're you know blah 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 blah, blah. and all of those guidelines were not health driven mm. it's like under the table slip the doctors some money have the doctors write up the recommendations none of it was actually based in health and science um, and some numbers could be fudged and some statistics could lie and all that kind of thing. But, um, hmm. but basically you had all of these working moms who had to work because of the wartime who now wanted to keep working and needed some easy dinners. And so you have a whole food industry that was created, instant TV dinners, and cultured cheese <laughs> product, a.k.a. craft, and all of this, you know, Wonder Bread and all of this stuff pushed by advertising. And it's creating this cycle of ill health and different, like, bad, um, bad problems that needed to be basically helped by petroleum-based pharmaceutical products. Hey, so it's like yeah. the industries are helping each other out because they get the scientists to write these different recommendations. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all of that was happening back in the 50s. Then you have like the 60s, you have the um, sexual revolution where you have like all these, you know, people who don't want to get married anymore. And so anti-tradition anti and then, um, you know, single moms who have to work and just, I've met so many people of that era who their parents never cooked at home. You have their... Um, families were, had been separated from uh, any kind of tradition or culture because they were immigrants or something. And then you don't have that tradition anymore. You don't have the mother and father figure anymore bringing kind of a balance in the home. And there's just so much disconnect from what people you know, used to do in old countries taking care of themselves to now. Everything is confusion and it, you're trying to rely on just whatever the FDA and the um, well, yeah. what is it? You can't even yeah. you can't even get food that's not been modified. Mm -hmm. It's really exactly. hard. It's really hard to find just a simple 
fruit that's not been messed with by some pesticide or some, you know, modified, you know. I was going to say, isn't it like even illegal to sell raw milk? I mean, they, yeah. they actually go after in stuff. Some states, yes. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that's that's crazy. I know. And I was then what say- they do is they find a couple incidences where somebody got sick from something, right? Mm-hmm. And they blame it on the raw milk. Now, maybe somebody did because somebody was being really dirty in the farm, mm-hmm. or you know, was actually contaminated. But to demonize something that actually is so beneficial. The only person that's benefiting is the person who's selling the pasteurized, homogenized milk product in mass. And it's actually a detriment to people's health. It's actually causing all of these issues. Lactose intolerance did not used to be a thing. You know mm-hmm. why? Because raw milk comes with lactase already in it. When you pasteurize it, you're removing and killing that enzyme. Right. So you can no longer digest it. When you homogenize milk, you're taking the fat molecules that are nice and round digest really really easily you're you're squishing it into this <laughs> sharp little sharp thing you're and then everything's all homogenized in all one thing you don't have cream floating on the top anymore mm-hmm. and all of a sudden people are having problems digesting that because you have these sharp sharp molecules trying to pass through your digestive system versus something that you used to go through so easily and actually nourish you yeah. so things did not used to be so confusing <laughs> it was pretty mm-hmm. simple and, you know, human and human innovation is a good thing. God created people to be very um, creative and innovative and um, very smart. But also, uh, when you start to tamper with God's design, there are consequences. Um, and we don't understand everything we do fully. So that's something else that has really driven my research. Like, we've been told so many things for so long, and yet going back to God's actual like created design seems so backwards to the modern secular community, but it's actually that way for a reason. Right. Right. The reason why cultures have been doing things for thousands and thousands of years, learning from trial and error, but then also because God put a system in place that is so intricately designed that if you start to mess with that in minute atomic ways, you are going to mess up the rest of everything else. So learning well, more and more about that. Wait, oh, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that uh, whenever technology enters into everyday life, um, we begin to, um, we be, especially when it comes to issues of health, like, like let's go back to like birth for just a second. Like mm-hmm. you're like, I think I'm made for this. Y- yeah, you think? You think that God maybe created woman to give birth, to be able, her body to be able to do everything that's needed to be done? and. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is the as you enter into and you know look my wife has had we've had three she's had three children and um, two of them were uh, she had epidural for all three of them but two of them it, she gave birth before they could kick in even so oh, man. Well, well one epidural went up it went the wrong way so it it numbed her whole chest and everything worst nightmare oh, oh my god yeah she said I was gonna say there's the medical research uh professionals right right <laughs> there's you it's you know nothing trust them well here's the other thing they didn't want to tell us what had happened she's like I feel like I can't breathe I feel like there's a horse sitting on my chest I can't breathe you know and she was trying to hold our daughter and in the pictures where she, after she was born when she's holding her like half of her face is like drooping down it looks like she had a stroke or something it's horrible oh my god 
And they did not want to tell us what had happened. They didn't want to admit, oh, yeah, you're, it wasn't until they kept. And what the worst part was is when she was giving birth, she kept saying, I can feel this really bad. I can really feel this. And uh, and the doctor's like, okay. And they keep hitting the, the button for the, ep- the epidural to have more poured in. And it, it basically was going up into her chest. So the oh, other, no. I know. And then the other one, she just, he just, he came too fast. And uh, oh, wow. so he, he, it was like she gave birth and then the epidural kicked in. So it was like after that where all the pain afterwards, I guess, gave her some some relief. But so she basically had two children natural and one our her very first one, our first oldest one. Oh, was it. But what's interesting to me is like when you enter into technology, into everyday things, and especially when it comes like, say, for birth, we begin to rely and think that those things are better than whatever it was that maybe God had created mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And I'm all for epidurals. Trust me. I don't, I'm not going to be the, uh, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to tell you when you're going to have a baby. We, you know, you, you can't get an epidural. You shouldn't do that. That you're, you're, you're cheapening the experience or whatever. I would say if you can't handle it, the pains, and there are some babies with some really large craniums, <laughs> right? Some stuff's going to yep. be happening where you don't want to necessarily feel that. Yep. But anyways, uh, what now you fast forward uh, and, and people think it's strange that you want to do a natural home birth. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. You, you, what happens if something goes wrong? What, you know, what happens if, you know, and obvious, you know, they're concerned and they care. It's not like they're just being, you know, wimpy. But what mm-hmm. we've done is we've transferred a lot of our trust in God's creation and something as, as amazing and beautiful as childbirth to now uh, a doctor with some nurses and some equipment is better and it's going to make it better. And, I, you know, I don't want, don't get me wrong. If, if a woman is out there and like, I'm the, probably the last person should be even talking about this, right? Cause I'm a dude, right? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if a woman doesn't think she can handle it, then get the epidural. If it's scaring her to that point and it gives her comfort, I, I'm always a big proponent of conscience. Like let your conscience lead you. And, uh, you know, I think that if if the Lord in his sovereignty knows that this is what's best for you, he's going to allow your conscience to have peace when you make that decision. That's know? why medical freedom and informed consent is so important because mm. if you're walking into it feeling guilted or pressured, or afraid because you don't know other people can take over and take charge and other people will especially if they're trying to influence your decision if they're trying to influence the hospital bill if mm-hmm. they're trying to speed things up for their own purpose uh this is why it's so important to inform yourself and a lot of women don't realize that they have the choice because the culture of modern america is trust your doctor trust your doctor don't ask questions and I didn't know until probably this past year the ingredients of the epidural I didn't know that it contains some pretty hard drugs mm-hmm. and those are things that are going to directly affect your baby um, and you as the parent need to be making those decisions in an informed way because you need to decide based off of, let's say, your genetics. Let's say based off of your um, situation where you understand how your your wife is going to respond or how you as the mother giving birth are going to respond. And you need to be able to make those decisions 
in an informed way, not with someone else pressuring your decision, trying to guilt you or make you afraid. Um, but I was actually pressured into some decisions when I was pregnant with Asher that I'm not happy with. And I'm now that I know better, but all you can do once you know is to try and do better next time. Yeah. But it just makes me feel really sad that someone else out of their own ignorance too was trying to pressure me and make me make this decision in a way that was actually just benefiting their paycheck. It wasn't actually a benefit. Yeah. Uh, there, uh, there's a whole nother tangent I could go on, but I think, you know, <laughs> if we ever want to to another guest who is a little bit more well-versed in this, but birth and the industry of birth is so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like doctors basically bring women in when they're having their baby and prepare everything as if they're going to have an emergency C-section. And that way it's like quick and easy. They understand the timeline and they just wheel you in. You're going to get billed for all these different pain meds. You're going to get billed for the OR versus just a plain old natural birth. It's crazy how it's so not commoditized. It's so, um, it's just fast tracked in a way not good. And it's got some serious repercussions for your baby's microbiome. It's got some serious repercussions for you as the mom dealing with things in a completely different way. All of those medications you're going to be on are going to affect your emotions. They're going to affect your baby and how your baby's doing. And so there's just so many decisions that women and parents in general need to be able to understand the repercussions of their decisions. Yeah, I remember when um, when we, uh, let's see, I think it I think it was my our first one. I was self-employed, and uh, so no, it would have been my second one. Our second one when I was self-employed, and so my insurance was not great. We didn't have great health insurance. It was really expensive. We had it, but it wasn't great, and it didn't have birth, you know, baby giving birth, you know, baby. And so we prepaid for the birth, so we prepaid for everything up front. We ended up um, our next child. We used our insurance and we paid our copays and everything. The bill was astronomically more for this, the other baby than the one I prepaid for. And I think what- With the I, insurance. So they're charging more to the insurance company than they charged you for the first one. Right, which is the part of the whole this whole discussion that not enough people mm-hmm. get in, involved with, which is the racket of insurance. Mm-hmm. Yes, oh my gosh. They're in a bed together. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So- all right, I think we are going to have some guests. You have, you know, some really cool people, and we can we can unpack that with, on another episode. Yes. But um, yes. so you mentioned your, and this is what's funny is see when I met Rosie, the first thing he did was I I just got done preaching a sermon and uh, I was doing a whole series on apologetics, and I talked about Islam, and I know it was uh, I forget what it was, but I I'd, I'd spoken on Islam the week before and he was there and uh, he hands me this book. And uh, it's on this story about this guy in radical Islam, and uh, he—I guess he—he he basically realized Islam was a big cult, and well, yeah, it's called the the People versus Muhammad. It's written by uh, yeah, it's a really good one. It basically attacks. Uh, it goes through it for anyone that's interested. It goes on the uh, basically. It's as if a lawyer was laying out a case against the person of who Muhammad was and what he says. And it's all using all Islamic uh, scriptures and the Hadith and the Quran and uh, doesn't paint a very good picture of him. So it's like the opposite of a case for Christ or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I blame Rosie for my woke journey because <laughs> he basically reinforced some things that were kind of like bubbling up within me. I was kind of dissatisfied with um, with a lot of what I was seeing in 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 just the evangelical church movement at, mm-hmm. in general. I was frustrated with um, just a lot that I saw there, and there was a lot of control and a lot of. Um, you know, if you're if you're in the truth and and you have the answers, then why are you afraid when people start asking questions that are difficult mm-hmm. or challenging or yeah. that you know you don't necessarily want to talk about? And that's what I was discovering. And I was a pastor, you know, I was a leader. So um, Rosie and I became friends, and we started just having these crazy discussions <laughs> at my house on Sunday evenings. And um, and then so he kind of pushed me through the door of woke of waking up, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, I still remember our very first discussion on 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I did not. I thought you were insane. Yeah, you were like telling me all this stuff, and and uh, and but I did what everyone should do, and as I researched on my own, and I yeah. tried to be unbiased. I tried to lay down all of my you know predisposed you know thoughts and ideas, and say, okay, is there something there that I've not been noticing? before or I just was hidden from me. And yeah. and then I think one of the kickers for me was when I discovered that the term conspiracy theory was actually created <laughs> by the US government. By yep. the CIA. Yeah. yeah, to discredit people that are researching truth. For the JFK mm-hmm. assassination. And can I just yep. go on, I just wanna go on the record. Please. Which please. is so funny that you remember talking about 9-11 because that was one thing I did not look into very hard until recently. <laughs> Like I never, that was one I never wanted to. So it's just funny that you remember that. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So sorry. That's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. And that's kind of when yeah. you, yeah. When, I mean, we, maybe we need to do an episode on just on false flags <laughs> yeah. in general, because you, yeah. that's a term that's coming up now, especially with the Q movement mm-hmm. and stuff. But, um, but yeah. So as I was kind of going through this and it, then it goes into like all these different fragments because you'll find somebody that's teaching or saying something that you've never heard before and then you're like well what is this what are they talking about and then you have to kind of yeah. oh that's trash get rid of that that, that that's totally unbiblical nope that's just weird you're yeah. just a weirdo and there's a ton of weirdos in the in the uh truth or community unfortunately yeah and, and maybe that's what a lot of the mainstream churches are trying to do is protect people you know from yeah. some stuff which like, you know a few bad eggs or a few weird eggs, uh, does not mean that the entire group of people asking some questions is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I've run into the same thing with the health community. There are a lot of weird New Agers, Mm -hmm. even though they have some very, they're doctors, you know, they've got their doctorates in multiple different subjects, but they're also super into all this, you know, Eastern religions and stuff. And I'm not going to discredit the medical side of what they're doing because there is actually a, I guess, plumb line of data. And the same can be said within anything else. When you have the plumb line of the word of God, you can easily tell when something is going off track. Mm -hmm. You can easily tell, okay, that is, uh, that sounds, it sounds good, but where is their, you know, where is their compass? Um, And so you'll be able to take out the good and weed out everything else i think too i I think people are wired um for this a little bit more than other people (laughs) 
like I've always like before I was even a Christian when I was like I, when I was really little I remember having just a whole bunch of interest in just weird mm-hmm. stuff like aliens mm-hmm. and Bigfoot and Loch Ness monsters. <laughs> I was gonna say some people are uh, made to be to handle like total ostracism and, <laughs> and people <laughs> and, and oh normal people tell it of they're weird and stuff. Yeah, I think some people are wired for it <laughs> to handle it. Well, I would I, always like also, start. I got that all the time. Yeah, I would start off the conversation very innocently, <laughs> like, "Dude, do you believe in Bigfoot?" You know, and then they're like, "What?" You know, "What are you thinking about? What are you talking about?" Yeah. <laughs> and it would go weird. Well, I mean, it's always uh, it's always funny. I'll see like friends post on Facebook, and it, this is like the perfect thing where it's like that meme where it's uh, it says something where it's like it starts off with some conspiracy i don't know where it's like oh you think the moon landing's fake and then someone else will be like oh you think the moon's real and then everyone's like mock i can't that's a really bad interpretation of whatever it was but i think people know yeah. the general thing and mm-hmm. uh they're mocking that as in there's like not a lot of truth like oh that's so crazy that the moon's not real and then all of a sudden you know dude SpaceX. some of us are gonna say something like uh, yeah, man. Like, let me tell you why the moon's not real. Uh, I was gonna say it's just it's funny that like when you see that normal people are like, that's so funny. I can't believe there's people that think that. Right. Um, and then there's people that really do believe that, or like that's not that's not even a big that's not even the crazy. Let me tell you about some yeah. crazy yeah. stuff. Well, that's why like I laugh when the Q movement, which we don't we're not necessarily a big you know, proponent of, I mean, we, I watch it, I see it, you know, but when they're talking about all this stuff that's going to happen, but one thing that they probably are very accurate on is this whole, um, deep state Luciferian satanic, um, you know, leadership that's been threaded through every government in every nation and has an unseen hand and a lot of stuff that's going on. When you begin to recognize that and you see it for what it is, and you can kind of, you can kind of start start to discern and see um, with eyes differently. Suddenly, it becomes obvious to you, and it's painfully obvious. And yeah. and people that don't like like I'll just use this for an example. Like, um, like all right, I just had a conversation with a neighbor. Um, so in Virginia, where we live, the law says by our governor, and I don't know if it's a law, but the governor made a mandate, and he's a, a joke, anyways. Our governor. <laughs> But he made a mandate about yeah, right. He made a mandate about having to wear masks um, in when you're in stores, when you go out in public. You don't have to wear them in the street, but you have to wear them in stores. And you know, um, I was doing a little bit of research, and um, you know, when it comes to back like anything that's going to be microbiological, you're the the example of like one of these face masks like the cloth one or whatever would be like the same example of someone trying to like spraying a hose through a chain link fence like that's the size difference of the hole so it does absolutely nothing all it is 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 basically virtue signaling Mm -hmm. in some weird way so do you want me to take you a step further please okay so so i think this is like a perfect example of like what we're talking about when you're saying like oh like people can tell that there's something going on but then like if you start thinking about like the mask like there's deep symbology behind uh like people using masks all throughout like ancient cultures and (laughs) using them in rituals and stuff like that Mm. like as specific like 
black mask. You know, like they use masks, the specific ones. Yeah. And if you look at like an overall thing, so this is just like an easy one that we can look at and then say some stuff. And maybe if you didn't think about it this way, it might make a little bit more sense as to why they're pushing something that does nothing, mm-hmm. you know, in essence. And when you think of, you know, them trying to, uh, like, they're, okay, I've never had a baby, but I know that there is, um, <laughs> Rachel would probably be perfect. <laughs> don't they say that, uh, like, it is so, so, I don't know how important it is. I mean, I know it's very important. I don't know what the the percentage or numbers that they put behind it, that, like, a woman, when she has the baby, she puts it right on the skin. And, they're, like, that initial skin contact, like, yeah. does a whole lot to the whole development of the child. If they don't mm-hmm. have the skin-to-skin contact, you know, like that. So something like that. Especially from the few babies, babies who are born a little bit too early and had to be rushed over to intensive care, extremely important for them to be put on um, the mom's chest, not only for bonding, um, but for just uh, temperature regulation, mm-hmm. for heartbeat regulation. Um, so much has to do with smell and microbiome, like, there's so much going on right there that's pretty important. So when you have, it makes me so mad, you have something like COVID where it's like, you know, we have to test the mom and we have to the baby and it's like, oh. Your mic is, uh, it's super muddy. Really? Yeah. Oh, now it's good. Now it's good. I don't know what happened. Weird. That was really weird. You just went into complete mud mode. Like we couldn't oh, even, no. it was like Charlie Brown's teacher. Can you hear me now though? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so, COVID is throwing all of that out because if you have a baby, if you're pregnant and you have a baby now, no one can be in there with you, um, depending on what state you're in. But here in Florida, no one can be in here with you. You have to wear a mask the whole time. The baby is going to be rushed off to uh, neonatal neonatal intensive care immediately so that they can be tested. You're going to have to undergo that testing period and wait for results to come back before you can even have that time with your baby. Um, there's also some stuff that they've been trying to push forward that immediately does this eye dilation mm. um, to test for some rare genetic abnormality, um, and then your baby's eyes are going to be filled with like that eye dilation mm. um, fluid um, and all that kind of thing. It's just some weird thing that a um, a person here in uh, our legislation um, tried to get through. Um, anyway, so your baby's going to have these blurry eyes, and that's you know with the antibiotic ointment that they like to put on there anyway. Yeah. And then not even be able to do into skin with your mom or with its mom immediately after birth. So that eye contact is so important. Skin to skin is so important, just like it is with a normal, you know, adult human being. Um, and all of that is to disrupt human bonding. Exactly. And it's to it's like creating a traumatic experience from the day one. So you were saying though well, the mask is like a rich, some kind of ritual or something. Well, yeah. So I was going to say you have. I think that there's that part of. Um, so I, I, I meant the baby as a uh, an example of how important it is to have uh, com- community with people and right. yeah. just from the very beginning, like humans are made to interact with one another. And uh, mm-hmm. thank you for going through all that stuff. But uh, so what the point I was getting at is being able to put this barrier that does have some seep. Uh, deep psychological or not psychological well it, it affects us psychologically walking around like not being able to see if people are smiling you know what i mean yeah. like that that is very traumatic and uh i mean it, they keep saying like terms like the new normal and when you mm-hmm. think about like okay so 
so I, I, the point, I, the whole point I was making about this is just something as much as putting on a useless mask that doesn't help anyways. Why would they keep pushing it? You know, there's the reason that they can say, and then there's a reason more behind it for the people that you know the puppets, at the puppet masters at the top, or yeah, they yeah. you know that that thing, the the breakdown of society. Um, you know, just being able to read people's emotions, you know, if, so, I mean, so that's the element. And I just want to sum it up with, if that sounds totally crazy and totally out, well, they're, they've been listening, people have been listening to this podcast for whatever, so whatever, right, right. you know, this is out there. <laughs> but the big, the most important thing is, um, even if we don't believe that that's like important, we, the people who do, uh, how do I, trying to think of the exact phrasing it doesn't matter if we believe that there's any power behind doing that kind of stuff like if they are doing a mass ritual or anything if we don't believe that that doesn't matter there's no power for us to give or whatever right but the people that do believe they do believe it so it's important to know that they what they believe because they actually do believe it right and so that's what like christians are you know seeing signs and the you know well, that's like, um, the, you know, the image, you know, the symbols everywhere. Yeah. We can look at that and go, that's stupid. Why would, why are they wasting their time doing all that stuff? Cause there's mm -hmm. meaning to them. And that's why it's, that's, that was my whole rant yeah. about. That's what, uh, Jim Duke, we had Jim Duke on a, yeah. like two weeks yeah. ago or whatever. And he was, I was listening to him, uh, his, one of his latest podcasts and he was saying that, um, he was trying to connect all the ritual magic and all that stuff and like kind of exposing that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was saying that, um, it still has power you know the the idea of like there's a faith like you know when christians believe and they pray in faith there's power behind that right and there's mm -hmm. a spiritual force that is moved by the faith of a believer mm -hmm. the same thing can be you know said for the dark darkness you know there's obviously things that can be done in mass that will evoke a strong spiritual response right. and um, some people aren't even aware that they're a part of it they're just yeah. ignorant complicit and the more people that are doing it are kind of lending to its power and its own you know yeah like i was gonna say that maybe to kind of uh tie this into i had this thought or um something i was reading this book or something about uh I, <laughs> Let me just say this. I always want to try to preface it so that people know I'm not just talking about my butt. Like if you look at all these, uh, we were talking about the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, the FDA. In mm -hmm. the same way to tie in the, with this, what you were saying about it's not everybody that's a part of it. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, does the average person or the average doctor that's telling you, oh, yeah, like you could it could help people to wear a mask. It's better than nothing. Yeah, maybe. Are they in some, you know, cult, uh, some yeah. cult right. of, you know, just the run of the mill person? Or is the, the your family doctor that you've been seeing for 20, you know, something like that. And he says, oh, you got uh, migraines or something. You can take this specific, I don't know, Excedrin or something like that. Like, does he really have evil intent behind, like, pushing some narrative? Maybe not. I mean, he probably does want to get paid. And there's obviously those kind of people. But I mean, mm -hmm. it's more so the people at the top that, um, you know, doctors get, would get, I, I'm assuming this would be the case is you get some doctors that all start and start, 
all of a sudden start speaking out in a different way or prescribing different things, they're going to get immediately ostracized by their community, oh, yeah. called a nutcase, thrown out. Yeah. So there is a status quo that everyone uh, in any industry knows. Yeah. You can't cross that line, even if I don't believe it. Um, you can't but, even bring up some names without being completely, everyone's going to shut you down and not even listen to another word you say because of the word or the name that you brought up. Does right. it matter if that thing that he said was actually proven true? Does it matter if the opposing side was debunked? If you say that name, people are lazy. Yeah. That's just how it is. People are lazy and they don't want to do the research, even if they're nice people. And that includes stop. Yeah. <laughs> we lost you. She's the, man, this is when you're... Oh, we lost her. You know, uh, what I was going to say is that... Um, what I was going to say to you, bro, is that... Um, is that uh, sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once here. There, okay, we got her back. But what I was going to say is that the um, the narrative gets pushed from the top, right? Mm -hmm. And so then mm -hmm. they kind of have to toe the line. But then just if you want to go down a rabbit hole, if you want to go down a weird rabbit hole, uh, just research uh, doctors that have been murdered yeah. or died um, yeah. that are n like homeopathic or naturalist oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, doctors. They... They, there was a, a, a and they are finding cures for things that are not connected to big medicine so mm -hmm. they're getting offed really yeah. and there's a real argument for that like legit yeah and I, I was gonna say the thing like at the top of the thing one thing to look into just the way at least in, in America is to look at and it's all all over the place like how many so you have big pharmaceutical companies that need to go through uh, legal routes to mm -hmm. get be able to get prescribed and all this stuff yeah so you have the big pharmaceutical companies and then you have the governmental entities and the thing that i was going to say is to, to if you ever wonder who's making these decisions as to why this pill uh you can't get that anymore or now this is the only one that does this thing and you know all back and forth back and forth like there is a you know how many people at the uh fda or the food and health you know, work used to work at Monsanto, right? Or right. how many people there uh, used to, who now work at Monsanto used to work for the government, right? It's so you, all a revolving door, all right? Of it. So those are the kind of people that we're talking about, for the most part, and that's how you see when that when the top layer and keeps people in the dark. That those are the people that are making these big decisions. So we're not saying you know go beat up your doctor because he's saying something <laughs> like he shouldn't you know there maybe there's there's a little bit that he's probably lying and he's pushing some sort of truth but he may be completely ignorant right. to a lot of this other stuff yeah so. part of it is habit it's what you've always done but then also um you know insurance and then <laughs> insurance pays you out certain things for getting your um, all of your patients on a certain schedule and making certain decisions. So some of it is just income, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's crazy. Um, Johnson and Johnson, I don't know if you've heard anything about the different lawsuits that they've been facing for different numbers mm -hmm. of billions of dollars over having, um, is it, it's not asbestos. Is it asbestos? Some really terrible chemical. I'm pretty sure it was something along the lines of asbestos in baby powder for a really long time. Yeah, Talc, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah talcum powder awful, yeah. like uh cancer causing chemicals in baby powder for like 
mm-hmm. well over 30 years. It's like as long as it's been around and they're facing these lawsuits and yet people are still buying their products. People aren't like reading the ingredients that they're putting in their bodies. And yet Johnson and Johnson is their hands in everything. Um, there are companies like Monsanto roundup that are paying out millions mm-hmm. and even billions of dollars because of causing cancer, causing these different diseases. Um, and yet, you know what industry is shielded from all liability? Yep. Vaccine manufacturers. Yeah. They've been shielded from all liability since 1986. Mm-hmm. After 1986, the schedule, the childhood schedule skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. And you can look at charts on mm-hmm. other things that have skyrocketed at the same time. So that's enough. Sure, causation does not equal correlation, but you need to start asking some questions. Maybe more and more and more ingredients in a person's body doesn't mean a good thing. And we need to start requiring uh, them to be liable again yeah. because they're shooting from all liability and they're making billions of dollars. They have a slush fund that's taxpayer funded for all of the people who are injured by that schedule. Um, and I think more people need to be aware of that. So I have like so much I could say about that, but I also <laughs> have some people who have been studying that for years and years and years who I would love to have as a guest on here and they could really, you would be very angry by the end of that podcast, but it's a good, a good anger. It's a good righteous well, anger. It's a lock. Just the things we've talked about now, we're probably going to get, at least we're not monetized on YouTube. Yeah. So well, we're, <laughs> we're going to get censored. Oh man. Well, Rachel, this is cool. I'm looking forward to uh, just kind of having more, of your round, you know, and your input and he's just getting tired of just talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I think, uh, I think it's going to be cool. Um, I've always wanted to have uh, a balance. I always like to have a balance. Um, you know, like I, Rosie has his strength that he pulls in. He's got tremendous political, um, you know, experience and all that. And he can, he can un- unpack stuff on that side of things. And I have obviously the pastoral side of things um, a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, but what you're gonna bring, not only is that feminine voice that we, we, we don't have here, but uh, also just some of the things that you're going through and that you're, uh, that you're waking up to, I think it's gonna be fun. I think our listeners are gonna um, connect well with that. And so I'm glad you're gonna be a part. And yeah. I'm and, super excited. It's all been, a huge waking up and I feel like I've, yes, I've been taking steps forward, but I also feel like I'm just taking steps back in my understanding of the world um, <laughs> because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn and I'm totally okay with being wrong on things. Like I want to know the truth and I'm okay with what I was believing before to be wrong. Like I would yeah. rather believe the truth than something that was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's kind of just been part of like, the sanctification process. Like I don't want to keep believing something false about Jesus Christ. I don't want to be believing something that's not honoring to him and something that he has called bad. Like I don't want that at all. And if that means so much stripping away and so much uh, refining fire, just being so uncomfortable to me and removing friendships, I don't care about any of that. Like if it's not of you, I don't want it. Um, and if I love him, I want to be obeying his commands. So that's going to mean questioning everyone else around me, um, and having the word of God as my plumb line, um, and as my compass through all of that. So it's, it's been really uncomfortable, but 
I'm really glad that I've got, I mean, I'm really glad that you guys are kind of almost paving the way and talking about all this uncomfortable stuff more and more. Um, but I think you guys could be a little bit more uncomfortable. And so I'd love to, I'd love to keep talking about stuff. And I think we should keep talking about things that the Christian community really needs to be aware of because the complacency and the, um, the sleep that we've been in for so long, um, it's all working to the advantage of the enemy. And I think yeah. that in order to be more unified, we have to be aware of things that have infiltrated the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say like, that's one of the biggest things I think is really cool. Um, when we're talking about bringing it back to the fact that we're all Christians and that's no, the number one thing behind all this. Um, I mean, just for a perfect example, when we were talking about like, why do we, you know, uh, uh, like the fear or the thing. So I don't want to keep uh, like praising Dr. Heiser so much, but one <laughs> of the reasons why we love him so much and we reference him probably every show and mm-hmm. like the stuff that we hear. And I think I, I'll speak for me, but I think Turner's been learning a lot as well that um, like, that's the thing is uh, like for me, when I learn like rereading the Bible with like knowledge and stuff like that yeah. is, I mean, there's people at church that I've been called heretical. I've been called, you know, <laughs> oh all this gosh. stuff for saying like, Hey, did you know that this word doesn't actually mean what you think it means? And like, <laughs> here, let me show you this. Or like, let me, let's go to the original language or like, let's look at this other person that, you know, Heiser recommended or this article or the scholarly work or, you know, something like that. And I mean, that's the thing that like, like I, I want to yell talk to people and like don't you actually care what the bible really says like don't you care Dude. why there's like why you feel weird and you can't talk to your like it's been more empowering knowing like the weird stuff has yeah. a purpose you know right. what i mean and i think christians yeah. should like it's empowering that i'm not as able to articulate as well as other people can but like i'm not afraid of our bible you know what i mean right. and like i think that's a thing yeah, exactly to Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to like question the Bible, you know, go back and see what it really means. Even if it means that the, the dogma that we've been, you know, going, well, because I'm, I've, you know, for example, someone would say I'm a Presbyterian and this is the way that we interpret it. But if that way that you interpret it isn't valid, right. you know, you or, should feel uncomfortable, you, yeah. but you should want to know more about like the Bible and you should want to know more about the politicians that you might've used to like. Uh, you yeah. might have liked before or, uh, you know, this thing that you always trusted in. And it's important as Christians to us do that. I have a funny story. I So I bought Heiser's uh, Book of Enoch, first yeah. Book of Enoch commentary. Yeah. I have it too. And uh, and it was sitting on the table and my wife looked at it and she goes, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's a commentary on the Book of Enoch. And she's like, the Book of Enoch? What are you joining some kind of cult now? <laughs> I started laughing, <laughs> and I was like, "No, Enoch is actually referenced in uh in by Jude and in the New Testament, and he was a really godly man." And uh, I said, "It's still used in the Ethiopian Church, by the way, too. Ethiopian Orthodox Church." Well, t- that's all you mm-hmm. need to. The Ethiopians got it right. All right. They yeah. also have the calendar, right, dude? It's 2012. <laughs> Did you hear about that? No. So uh, when they switched to the Gregorian calendar. They lost about eight years. Yeah. And so that would put us at 2012 right so, now rather than, so the Mayans were right. Mm. The world is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. 
Well, look, we know that the signs of the times, man, mm. um, these are the birth pains, and we might even be past the birth pains. We might be into the times of, uh, of tribulations. So lift up your eyes and look because your redemption draws near, right? Mm. That's what the word yeah. tells me. Yeah. So we should, we oh might be God. the feast of trumpets, man. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. I've just started paying attention to the symbology behind all of that and, you know, how it applies to modern day believers who know that the Messiah has already come. And so that's been really cool. But then also, like, whoa, yeah. the trumpets is coming up. Like, what's going to happen? You know, <laughs> like, especially with Pentecost and then, um, the second wave of Pentecost, basically, that's kind of happening right now. Did you guys hear about what was going on the other night? Um, I think two nights ago it was the full moon. Last night. Did you guys, last night? Yeah. Did any of you guys hear about what was, was going no. on? Oh, wait, no, two nights ago. Is that the right. one where there's like three other uh, yes. constellations or something like that that were all aligned? Yes. Yeah. It was really big for astrologers. It was mm -hmm. really big in the occult community. And there was these trending, well, I don't really know that they were super public, but they were trending hashtags on Instagram for all people of the occult, which is warlocks, all of those <laughs> terminologies, hexing the president and anyone who's a racist and like all these different things. There's this huge, like all witches unite against racism and stuff like that, but just basically cursing anyone who is not an anti-racist, I guess. It was just right, ridiculous. Right. But most of it was directed at the president, especially because he was holding a Bible and a photo the yeah. other day. Yeah. So, so I'm not going to say that, like... Ache for two years. <laughs> if you shouldn't be... You're a racist, man. I'm not a racist. You, are you, well, aren't are you guilty for being white? <laughs> you got to be guilty, man. Uh, there were several pastors who were aware of that and were calling Christians to just be in prayer all day. Yeah. Because... I mean, all of that stuff has, I don't know, a minute amount of power compared to the power of prayer. And so I think it's good to be aware of that and not just brush it off, but to be in active intercession. Right. Wait, right. when did that happen? Two, did, two nights ago. Two nights ago? Oh, because I was going to say it wouldn't have been the sixth day of the sixth month, would it? <laughs> At a specific time? No, that would have been yesterday. Have, okay. I, yesterday I was the sixth month. Well, that's what that's what I was asking. Hold on, because <laughs> I'm gonna a, I'm gonna it's use, the seventh today. Hold on, let me let me check the internets real quick and see. Last full. I think it might have been yesterday that that I don't was know. going on. I saw something. Um, June fifth. Ah. Strawberry moon. That's what it was called. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I saw some weird Instagram post by some. Well, it was sad. It used to be a believer, and they were partake lighting candles and partaking in the strawberry and praying to the moon and all this nonsense so that's super sad <laughs> i know it's super sad man you knew the you knew the author of life mm -hmm. literally created the universe with this spoken voice and uh, and you're worshiping a moon praying to the moon who may, what may not even be real it's not real <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right. Well, anyway, yeah, we're excited. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel's going to start joining us. I know. and uh, She's going to push us. Yeah, maybe keep us a little sane on some things. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, Rachel, it's awesome to have you on. Thanks so much for having me on. This has been really fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, we will catch you next time, all right? All right. Take care, you guys. See you. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll catch you next time.